All right, let's go. Welcome back to another episode of the Tosses Pod. Uh, very privileged this week. After a guest last week, we've got another one. Yeah, back uh, to back. Human rights uh, advocate, chaos merchant, and yes. just all-round larrigan, <laughs> Drew Pavlow. Welcome, Drew. Oh, thank you for having me on, Jack. Um, I, I very much appreciate the fact that you picked me up from the airport. This, <laughs> this podcast has a bit of a deluxe Uber service going on about it, so very thankful for that. I'm a nice guy. Don't listen to what they say, guys. Yes, of course. <laughs> so, thank you both for having me on. It's, it's, a, it's a great honour, and um, I've been enjoying your TikToks for a long time, so jumped at the opportunity to have a bit of a, a chinwag. Good to have another yeah. larrikin on. Um, yes, here, here. We'll get started where you kind of gained your notoriety uh, for yeah. the people that don't know you, which was this 2019, 2020 at the University of Queensland. For anyone that doesn't follow the news at all, Drew was expelled from the <laughs> University of Queensland. Can you give us a bit of the back? Suspended. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just, just quickly, yeah. Drew, can you just mic a bit closer? Oh, to the yes, face? of course, of yeah, course. No problem. No worries. Suspended. Um, I'll give you the bit of the. The background basically I was um, six months away from graduating I was doing history philosophy literature till that point I was actually a very good student wasn't in any trouble at all um, and I was just very passionate I, I got very I got very passionate about the situation in Hong Kong I, I had Hong Kong friends I saw that you know there were riot police in the street bashing up people our age who were protesting for freedom it was amazing movement you know it was so inspirational it was like you know a genuine revolution and I, I was so inspired by the movement in Hong Kong and I'd also been reading about how the Chinese government had locked up more than one million Uyghurs in concentration camps and I remember when I was growing up I'd read about genocide and the holocaust and I remember always thinking to myself if this were to rear its ugly head again in history I, I really want to make sure that I'm one of the people that speak out rather than look the other way and so I basically decided I'd just hold one protest at the university. I wasn't really setting out to be an activist or anything. I had no plan, to be honest. Chaos Merchant is probably a good description. <laughs> because, yeah, no, I, I didn't actually set out really with, it, with a big goal in mind. I just was like, let's have a protest at the university. And uh, we picked Market Day, which is the busiest day of the year on campus. And I had only like 10, 15 mates. And we were like, we were basically like, look, if we get it into the university discussion space on Facebook uh, called Stalker Space, then that's a success. Like, I didn't know a single person in the media, didn't know anything about being an activist. I just thought, you know, let's do a disruptive protest, make people, make people confront the fact that our university, because it turned out I'd been doing research, turned out our university had really close ties with the Chinese government. So just the um, income stream alone from international students coming from China was about... 200 to 300 million a year obviously this is worth billions in the long term and they had appointed the Chinese consul general in Brisbane as an honorary professor given him, given him an honorary doctorate um, the university vice chancellor Peter Hoy president of the university he, I didn't we didn't know this at this point in time I only found this out later when the students elected me to the UQ senate and I was privy to all the confidential secret documents <laughs> um Peter Hoy was getting $200,000 a year as part of a secret bonus like confidential bonus that wasn't allowed to go public he was getting 200k a year for deepening ties with China. That was his KPI, and so like the university was like the university would list got deep connections yeah, with the, the the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, basically. The, the university would list. Um, you know, Peter's gone to gone to China five times this year. He's deep in ties. Like you know, given the 200k, and he was on the board of Hanban, which ran Confucius Institutes worldwide. So, for listeners who aren't who aren't aware about the for listeners who don't know much about the Confucian Institutes, 
basically these are Chinese government-run institutions that are embedded within every major Australian university, and they're they they're also out there in the UK. They're also out there in the US. But in the UK and the US, they've started to shut them down. In Australia, we've got not a single one has been shut down at any of these universities. Basically, basically all Chinese language instruction at the major Australian universities, the Group of Eight, are run through the Confucius Institutes. And the Confucius Institutes basically they're funded, controlled by the Chinese Communist Party through this organisation Hanban, which has since rebranded. Peter Hoy was on the international board. Um, the Chinese government actually flew him to cha- flew him to Shanghai to give him a medallion. Uh, basically recognising his efforts promoting Confucian Institutes worldwide. So deep ties. Yeah, him. yeah. Like this, basically the president of the University of Queensland was getting uh, propaganda awards from the Chinese Communist Party for promoting Confucian Institutes. The Confucian Institutes, um, it turns out they were funding four courses at UQ and some of these courses, you know, when it came to issues like Hong Kong, came to issues like Uyghurs, um, basically these courses were asking students to consider whether the Hong Kongers were terrorists, the protesters were terrorists in the democracy movement. And uh, when, it, when it came to the week where they discussed the ongoing genocide against the Uyghurs, we're talking, you know, a mo- more than a million have been rounded up. This forced sterilisation, there's an effort to wipe out the Uyghur birth rate, there's destruction of Uyghur cultural heritage and cultural sites, there's banning on the... La- there's, there's efforts to shut down the language. Children are taken from their p- families to colonial-style boarding schools where speaking the native language Uyghur is banned. Um, basically, efforts to rip people from their culture it's a, it's a cultural genocide and that's what your protest was about yeah. wasn't it? it was about kind of was it taiwan or was it hong kong uh, it was, our, our protest was uyghurs and, and hong kong and and um basically like when, when it came to the week where they were discussing this at the university of queensland one of these courses funded by the confucian institute um they were they were they were introducing the issue by saying well the uyghurs are overrepresented in terror statistics there have been this this many t- can you can you imagine <laughs> Can you imagine another course at the University of Queensland or any major Australian university, like, oh well, like saying, well, oh, indigenous or black or like, or like just random <laughs> Aboriginal like, yeah, rights yeah, activists like, well, What you just explained then sounds yeah. exactly what we did the indigenous back what three hundred years literally, ago. Literally, literally, yeah. yeah it, that is a really good analogy for it. It's yeah. it's basically like it's almost like China looked at all the breed them ter- out and take their kind of culture away from yeah. it. Yeah, and it, it's actually like China looked at the genocides that occurred in you know colonial Australian history colonial Canadian history um, and it's like they want to replicate that and that's what's so fucking <laughs> like this, dark this about worked. it yeah. it's like a university they've copied someone's assignment <laughs> yeah, and changed exactly. a few things around it's horrific and you know this is our largest trading partner so you're sorry no one in the university wants to discuss this no one all the universities are dependent on money coming in from China, so they don't yep. want to discuss this. Take the money, look the other way. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the top business people in Australia, Gina Reinhardt, Twiggy Forrest, all their money comes from China. Twiggy Forrest, um, you know, he started an anti-slavery charity, but he, you never hear him talk about Uyghurs. Like, he, Twiggy Forrest has an anti-slavery cha- charity, but when it came out that Uyghurs were being, for, were being subject to forced labour in China on a massive scale, nothing. Yeah. So all the top business people, politicians, you know top university figures. No one wants to speak about these crimes. And... Um, so, we're just, sorry, we're just backtracking yeah, yeah. a bit to, like, the actual incident. So, so which, the incident, um, exactly. So, so there's the background why I did it. And I basically was, like... I, I, was, I was shocked that my university had such close ties. I was, like, no one would accept this, you know... I, no one would accept the university being complicit in genocide against Indigenous Australians or, or you know, racism against... But, like, why are they complicit in a genocide in China. 
So this is why I wanted to do it. And we held a small rally. We had 15 people. And um, <laughs> the, there are a few fights that started. Yeah. Wasn't that the thing so, that some Chinese brawlers came in? And So, yeah. So basically, um, I didn't know this at the time, but they'd started a petition saying shut down the terrorist supporting event at, at University of Queensland. So some of the leaders of the Chinese communists... There's a group on campus, right, called the Chinese Student Scholars Association, and these are registered with the Chinese consulate. They're, like, the top, the leaders of the Chinese Student Scholars Association, you know, are kind of selected by the consulate, etc. And these guys were going to the Queensland Police Service and the university saying, you can't let them hold this rally. It's going to be a terrorist event because the Uyghurs are all terrorists, like, sick stuff. And I didn't know this, and, and they had a big petition with, like, 3,000 people saying, stop the, stop the um, terrorist event at UQ. And they found the Facebook event and they're all saying, and there were some guys that came into the Facebook event and they were like, if you hold the rally tomorrow, Drew, we'll kill your mum, we'll kill you. So you're actually getting Damn. death threats. Yeah, I was getting direct death threats from guys in Brisbane. Um, from your first pro, that, I mean, that might be a sign of a successful project. Yeah. <laughs> if you're getting well, death threats on your first one, well, you must be doing something well, right, I reckon. Well, you know, I was only 20, I just turned 21 and um, I had no, wait, what was it? No, I just turned 20. I was, you know, I was very <laughs> sprightly. Very fresh, I yeah. was very fresh. I'd never set out to be an activist. I'd never set out to be a protester. But suddenly, you know, there were guys saying, if you hold this rally tomorrow, we're going to kill you and kill your mum. And my mindset as a young Greek Australian got a bit of the, maybe, you know, the Kyrgios type <laughs> temperament. <laughs> fiery. Like fiery. The, these guys were saying, oh, we're going to kill you if you hold the rally. So what do I do? I just go on Google and I type in, you know, insult to Mandarin, copy and paste some characters. Nice. Like, fuck your family to the 18th generation or something <laughs> like that. Because these people were saying... And, and after... So after the rally that happened the next day and they tried to bash me up or whatever, people were saying, well, Drew deserved it. And it's like, but these guys were sending death threats. These guys were saying... You've got to understand the context. Like, like it's just returning yeah. serve. Oh, yeah, exactly. I was returning serve. I mean, these guys were saying... We're going to kill you and kill your mum if you hold the rally in Brisbane at your university. And, and I, I didn't know like what I was getting into really. I just thought, you know, fuck these guys. They're, they're trying to terrify me and I'm at my own university, my hometown. Like what, why do they feel that they can shut down free speech in Australia? I just felt so, I was like outraged by it. I was like, how dare they try and... And then so a few came there, didn't they? And they actually so, started a bit of violence. Not just, not just a few. In the end, we were surrounded by about, probably about four... So starting out, we were surrounded by about 200 to 300 um, Chinese nationals and, and probably most of those were actual students at UQ, but there were people like lurking in that crowd who weren't students who were there just to, you know, just to attack and Cause carry chaos. out violence. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So, so basically I, I was sitting there down and when I, when I got those death threats, I thought it was just bullshit. I just thought these guys are trying to bully me. Yeah, just, just classic I, online trolls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I just thought... Cod lobbies when you're 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah literally, literally. <laughs> Cod lobbies when you're 12. So I, I thought, like, I'm just going to hurl a few insults back at them, show I'm defiant, I'm not going to give in to their bullying, and I'm just going to go on with my day. So I, have, I held the rally. I've got 10, 15 people there. It's not even a well-organised rally. Like, I had to borrow a microphone megaphone because I, I forgot mine and and uh you know a bit like our first podcast yeah, yeah. and I, I was late to it by like 20 minutes like it, you know it wasn't that well organized but it was it was quite disruptive because we picked market day which is the busiest day of the year on campus and we picked the busiest walkway like where people were going back and forth to sign up to clubs and stores we had 10 15 people and we just like block off this entrance way and just have a sit-in and i'm sitting there with my megaphone just chanting like you know xi jinping like has to go blah 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 and uh, I didn't realise that we'd been surrounded on all sides, basically. And um, 
this guy, you can look back at the footage, there's, there's the, these two guys, they're quite hulking, they're like in their 30s, not students. They're both wearing these like massive sweat, sweatshirts. Um, they've both got sunglasses on. One of them actually has an earpiece in um, and they actually converge from different angles. They like, you can see in the footage, like they look at each other from a different, one of them's like standing in, one of them's standing in front of me by like five metres and, and the other one's behind me. And they basically converge in from these different angles and I'm just sitting there and they grab the megaphone out of my hand smash it on the ground and I'm just like oh holy shit I'd never been in a fight before in my entire <laughs> life <laughs> I, I didn't know how to fight I didn't know how to do anything and I'm just thinking like damn it looks bad for the cause if I'm the organizer of the rally and they just smash my megaphone and I do nothing so I see I look around I'm like oh shit we're surrounded on all sides and people filming what do I do split second I was like I've got to try to defend myself so I stand up and I'm like, I try to push them back and it's really, I don't know how to fucking fight. It's really bad. If you look at the footage, <laughs> I think I was trying to do some like kind of Kung Fu move. I was like, do, do, do. And <laughs> it did not work. I, so they get me in the ribs, really tough. I got winded, thrown to the ground. I got up again. And then that's when they clocked me in the fucking jaw. Oh, they actually oh, yeah. 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 Holy shit. Clocked me in the jaw, um, threw me to the ground. And that, that one really hurt. I think, it, I, I thought at the time I'd chipped a tooth. Like it was quite painful. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, so so that was my introduction to you know activism. That, yeah, was, my, that was my introduction to what the Chinese Communist Party and its supporters are capable of. A couple of Chinese spies, I dare say. Well, look, the guys who, and and, it's, and so it got worse. Like we we were surrounded on all sides, and then some of them come up behind us. They pour yellow liquid over us. We don't know what it was. I I thought it could have been urine. They had spat in it. There was phlegm. It was disgusting. Damn. Yeah. I had a sign. One of them came up behind me, and he had a skeleton teeth mask so this guy's wearing a skeleton teeth mask and he came up behind me coward punched me yeah back of, the, back of the head while my back was turned like no chance to defend myself i fell to the floor he grabs my sign rips it up and he just walks off and at this police like at this stage police have come in um because there were just police on campus for market day they come in there's security everywhere and i'm pointing out to the i'm pointing them out i'm pointing out to the police like that guy in the skeleton teeth mask coward punched me just then in front of you are you gonna go do anything and they're like oh we're gonna we're gonna interview him later but you you guys have to leave you have to leave and so they forced us to leave and but i wasn't ready to kind of end the day so we went off to the confucian suit at uq occupied it for a couple of hours protested but it got worse right because while we were off we we'd gone those kind of feral CCP racist ultra national like these guys can you imagine right like the analogy I tried to draw at the time imagine there's like a Black Lives Matter protest at University of Queensland and these like you know massive Trump supporter guys and yeah, MAGA, yeah. yeah. MAGA hats come over and they just start beating people up and bashing it would be international news so and, and that was the analogy I, I was like why do people not care when they like, like these guys were fascists they were holding up signs that said um, Hong Kong is China's they held up signs saying Hong Kong is a vermin Hong Kong is a rats. Like this is these guys. These guys were like ultra nationalists. They were like fascists, you know. At University of Queensland as well. I imagine. Yeah. I just think it's full of surfers. And like, then that's yeah, what I was imagining. University a few of pot smokers <laughs> in yeah. surfers. It's just nuts. And um, and so you know, when we when we the police kind of moved my group of 10, 15 guys off, and then the feral ultra nationalists just started laying into the Hong Kong students. So the Hong Kong students were like. There were about 50, 60 doing like a silent vigil on Damn, another hill. Dude. And like there were some Hong Kongers as part of our protest, but like only the most radical ones. Like most of the Hong Kongers, they'd gone off and done like a silent vigil on a hill, like a hundred meters away. 
the, the Chinese ultranationalists just went to that hill, surrounded them, and they were choke slamming people to the ground. It's all on footage. Like, they, they were ripping girls' dresses. Like, it was just, like, completely feral. Like, it was almost like a fucking KKK rally, these guys. You know, that's yeah, well, how they were acting. They're super racist, aren't they? Yeah. Especially towards Hong Kong. Well, and and, and yeah. the Uyghurs as well, obviously. Yeah, of course. Like, they were, well, because there was, like, two or three Uyghurs there, they were, like, they were saying it's a terrorist rally and stuff like that. And so... And wasn't the... And sorry, just going on. And the outcome from the University of Queensland to all... This was what to was let it slide and basically suspend you for two years. Yeah, that was that's how victim, the university victim blaming and it's yeah, like BS. Beautiful, beautiful response by University of Queensland, isn't it? I mean, I remember like the first week it happened. Um, like I go home that day. There's like two thousand death threats on my social media. Like just just thousands and thousands of abusive messages. Because it turns out like Chinese Global Times, which is like the footage of the students, like they had a. Mega, they had a massive boom speaker with the Chinese national anthem that they were playing on it. It got a hundred million views in China, and people were saying like, "We got like they were saying like, good on the patriots." And and they would and the Chinese social media they were naming me as like the instigator of the separatist protest. And You're I didn't kidding. and I didn't know that separatism is a death penalty offense in China. <laughs> and so I'm getting thousands of I'm getting thousands of these abusive messages: white pig, white trash, wog. Because um, I don't know how they fucking fucking figured out I'm Greek. Like, <laughs> so, so just all this, all these racial slurs hurled my my way, and um and people saying we will torture your mother to death, we will kill you and your family. We're hiring hitmen on the dark web to kill you in Brisbane. This is the stuff I was receiving, and my parents are so pissed because the night before that rally. When my dad had found out about the death threats, he was like, don't you fucking dare hold the r- r- protest. And I was like, dad, it's just bullying. Like, it's just fucking <laughs> cyberbullying. I'm like, please, dad. Yeah, nothing's going to happen, yeah, dad. No one will rock up. It would be me and my 15 mates. That's yeah, it. yeah <laughs> literally. And, and so, like, I got a video of this and we all laugh about it in my family now because my dad's going like, Drew, keep a fucking low profile. And then the next day he saw me. <laughs> on it, was the on world like, it was on, like, fucking BBC, like. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, like, the Chinese... So that night, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in China were commenting on the rally saying, like, it was led by separatists. And the Chinese Consul General in Brisbane, who, keep in mind, the university had promoted as an honorary professor. So he was giving this statement as an honorary professor as well. He came out, Zhu Zhe, his name was, and he said, we congratulate the Chinese students on their self-motivated patriotism against the separatist elements, which is a death penalty offence. So my argument is the, the Chinese Consul General in Brisbane who's also an honorary professor at UQ, is issuing a statement basically like congratulating people for bashing UQ students. Yeah. What does UQ do? Not, nothing against him. Nothing against the guys who tried to beat us up. Like most of them were not even students. So the one guy who got charged by the police in the end, we made like 10 police reports and the police in Queensland were not interested. They were like trying to shut this down. They just didn't want a scandal, I think. And um, in the end, it was after like 11 months because Bob Catter somehow intervened in the case. Well, because isn't this the thing when you yeah. got suspended? I think you were telling me, did you, you know, it was unjust and you reached out to, was it every politician in... I basically, yeah, was sending out like just messages to, autom- like almost automated messages to like politicians and Bob Catter was one of the few who like, I think he saw me on 60 Minutes or something like that and he yeah. just like, he just came in fucking swinging like at UQ and... um. Oh, love Catter, but basically, like, what happened was he intervened in the case like eleven months after it happened, and it was only after he like put out a question going like, "Well, why did not a single one of these guys get charged, but Drew gets suspended?" That's when the Queensland Police go, "Oh, we've charged the guy for assault, but he's already left to China, and we won't tell you his name." 
But they, they were like, oh, don't worry. If he tries to come back to Australia, uh, he'll be arrested at the airport and we'll let you know. But so it's never fucking happened. Like, nah. So with Bob Caddo, do you have any funny stories about him or like how he's helped you yeah. along the way? What, what, a, what a crazy figure. Like basically, basically the thing to keep in mind with Bob Caddo, I'd say, is the public image of him as this very eccentric bloke is like absolutely... 100% just how he actually is. So, um, <laughs> what you see is what you get. So uh, so many cooked stories with Bob Catter. Basically what happened was, so UQ comes in and their whole attempt is to try expel me. So they, they actually tried to expel me as a student for life. And they brought in like two of Australia's top law firms, spent half a million dollars trying to expel yeah, me. Yeah, because you had a QC, if I believe, working yeah. for you pro bono. I was very lucky. So um, U- UQ, like the way they tried to do it was so rigged, right? Like, so, so they... They issued me a 186-page document, like, basically outlining the charges against me. And the charge is just ridiculous. Like, one of them one of them is so ridiculous that it's like, Drew took a pen from a campus art shop off, off a shelf and he fucking wrote... <laughs> you clutched yeah. a straw, <laughs> yeah. I'm not even joking. So, so this was, like, considered a level three offence, like a serious offence worthy of expulsion. This was one of, like, the 13 charges or whatever you had against me. It's like 300 years ago you got sent to Australia for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, like, for, like, a, stealing a loaf of bread. Like, they actually said, like... So Drew got a pen off a campus art shop, took a note with a pen on a sign and, like, put it back on the, the art shop without paying. So what, like stealing 50 cents worth of ink, they were saying this is level three, most serious penalty, worthy of expulsion. It was grasping at, at straws. Um, like, for example, another one that was really cooked, like I'd sadly lost a mate to suicide, which was a horrible, horrible experience. And like two days after he died, and he's a fellow Yukushian, two days after he died, there were trolls online who were basically going like, oh, you're happy your mate died because you get to eulogise him in the press. Like, you helped kill your mate. Like, just like... People, Shocking stuff. People, people, like, no like, empathy is, whatsoever. Are these real people or is it like bots and trolls? Well, these, and were, these were real people. Like, basically yeah. like people from student politics who had grudges against me. Like, yeah, right. Which is like, never get involved in student politics, by the way. It's the <laughs> fucking most toxic pit of snakes ever. Damn, um, I was thinking about getting into it. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> but basically, um, like people who were like just taunting me about my mate's suicide... And um, I had responded very stupidly. I was like 20 years old at the time. Yeah. I'd lost a mate to suicide. I was very highly emotional. Two days after it happened and people taunting me, how do I respond? I think you'd, I responded in a way most people would respond. I was like, eat glass, you see you. Like, yeah, I, no I, one knows I, how to deal with yeah. grief and that. Like, yeah, no when you're 20 years old. That. Yeah, you're just angry and you look at someone to There's not a, not a single person yeah. out there who said something they didn't wish they could take back. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so guess what? Like UQ screenshot where Drew says like, eat glass or whatever. And they're like, here's Drew bullying students and stuff like and that. And there's no context behind <laughs> Behind it, it's yeah. just yeah, and and so it came out that um the students they were accusing me of bullying, like had never made an allegation against me, and so had never reported me to UQ. So they came, they actually came out and they're like, listen, like whatever happened between me and Drew, like we don't we don't want to see him expelled. We don't want the university to use yeah. this in this way. We don't know how we're being used in this way. And then and then UQ had to contend with the fact that holy shit, like some of the charges are basically fake then because they're saying that I bullied these students, but these students never reported me. And so then UQ's like. They got a partner from Minter Allison coming in and his argument was like, well, it doesn't matter if if Drew didn't... If these two individuals say they weren't bullied because an objective person would have felt bullied. So, like, what? In a fucking interdimensional plane, in a vacuum, Drew saying that swear word constitutes bullying. But if you just render it completely free of context. Like, this is yeah. how... And so they brought in, like... They had, like, their own university trial. So, like, they bring in... Kangaroo court. Yeah, kangaroo court. So... Like, who judges me on the 186-page charge sheet? It's UQ employees, and UQ brings in the partner from the top law firm in Australia saying, this is what we want to happen. 
That's the kangaroo court, right? How now, much did they? Sorry, I'm interrupting. Yeah, you, they, but how, how much did they spend on legal bills? Because it sounds yeah. like they've got some absolute. They they admitted to Parliament under oath that it was up to like two hundred and fifty thousand just on external legal fees, and then on top of that, sorry, it, can you say that again? Two hundred and fifty thousand on Mint Allison and Clayton Newts, and then on top because it was actually three. They brought in three law firms, but then you also have to consider like there's the internal legal team. Like UQ has twenty lawyers or whatever that they have for internal stuff. We did a freedom of information. We did a freedom of information request. Turns out that UQ had compiled like. 15,000 pages worth of documents on me in like three months. That's what their internal legal team were doing. So if you consider like, they would have been doing equally the same amount. Like conservatively, if you're saying they spent 250K on external legal fees, it's probably 250K in internal legal fees too. Yeah. So and they, they also brought in two PR firms as well against me. Like so well, that was, I think that was the main issue, losing their funding. In so their, for, yeah, all, yeah. for all our listeners out there, um, that's your taxes. That's your taxes. Yeah, that is literally your taxes. And they had a university spokesperson at one point um, like backgrounding me, backgrounding against me to the media. So there was an Australian financial review journalist who like called up asking for a quote from the university. And the guy was like, oh, between me and you, mate, like don't quote me on this, but you know, this kid's a bit of a virgin, isn't he? And the AFR quoted him on that. <laughs> so there, there's an Australian financial review article out there that just basically has like university spokesperson when, when contacted for comment, basically said like Drew's a virgin. Did you have to come out and say against that? Did you have to <laughs> <laughs> I, I came out, I said, listen, there's no problems in this department. But uh, this is like a top 10 Australian, you know, this is a top yeah. 50 university in the world. That's what they brand themselves as. Yeah. Like, and, it, and, it, and it comes from you just standing up for human Uyghurs, rights, yeah. human rights, something that everyone, you ask anyone, but it's again they probably like, say yeah. this is bad. Like you're doing a good thing. That's what initially, I think. Initially. And then yeah. this is all that's come out of it. But you think t- today is the 20... Eighth. Eighth, yep. So imagine the equivalent. We're in Mal- we're recording from Melbourne, where they had a lot of Invasion Day protests a couple of days ago. Can you imagine if you know, like you said before, you had a lot of right wing protesters come down and just start throwing fit? I, I think the equivalent would be, you know, if there was like say an on campus protest at the University of Melbourne, like for Indigenous rights or whatever, and then like fucking Nazi guys come in and start bashing yeah. Indigenous people, like it would be an it international crazy, outrage. Yep. They would they would spend spend no. They would unturn every mm. single... They would spare no expense trying to go after these guys, which is good. Like, they should do that, of course, if that were to happen. But I'm just saying, like, why was it that when it came to protesting against the Chinese government, it's like, oh, whoop, like, everyone looked the other way. Like, this is our biggest trade partner. We can't talk about it. That's, that's what it was and like. after all this has happened, you know, it's been in the courts for a few years. Uh, we'll address that in a quick break. So we touched on Bob Catter before. I want to know how many hats did he have? Have you seen his inside of his closet? I, no, I've never, I've never. <laughs> You're that close, we're not that close, unfortunately. Um, he does wear the Akubra everywhere. Like he came over to my house one time and he was still wearing the Akubra, nice. like inside. It was very interesting. So Do you reckon he sleeps with it? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and the wild thing is, he's got a great head of hair. Yeah, like he, he does. He does. It's beautiful. Oh, he, he's <laughs> such a silver fox. He's, an, he's such an incredible character. He's he's so fucking funny and. People might think it's an act. It's it's literally not an act. Like he acts the exact same way in real life as he does on like. He's a the, larger than life character, yeah, like, sort of. Like you know, for example, when you see those clips of him and he, like he's saying one thing and then he just jumps into like you know like the, the famous croc one where the croc like, one's great. Oh, yeah, that is everyone knows all the croc time. one. You yeah. know, not spending any time on it, but every three, you know, just the, it's, <laughs> he does that all the time, man. Like when I'm talking, I was having just ordinary conversations with him and just. So I'll, I'll, I'll explain a bit, right? So when I was getting expelled from the university, 
it actually started getting a lot of traction. There were a lot of people going like, what the fuck is happening? Because this is supposed to be one of the top Australian universities and they're going to expel a student for criticising the Chinese Communist Party. That is really bad precedent. And so it was really interesting because at one point, there are more British MPs speaking about my case than Australian MPs. So like it, it became international. It was in the New York Times, Washington Post, all that sort of stuff. And like there were like British MPs who wrote to the Australian High Commissioner in the UK saying like, what the hell's happening here at UQ? But there were actually more British politicians speaking about my case than Australian politicians because I think a lot of people in Australia, especially in Queensland, like they don't want to run afoul of the University of Queensland. I mean, they, you know, education's our largest export. UQ's one of the top universities. They just don't want to offend, you know, this established interest. And so there, very few people were, were backing me. And then Cater came in and um, he watched... I think one of his staffers saw it on 60 Minutes and told him to watch it. And then he just got it, like, stuck in his head. And, like, he just, like called me up one time and I was just literally like out on the patio like just having a normal day and I get this phone call and I open I I, I, no, I, I open the phone accept the call and it's just Drew it's Bobcat <laughs> like, <laughs> it's the beautiful beautiful voice and I was so surprised and he he just said like he just started going on and on like he was just going like you know in history Drew there have been some great heroes in history you know the, the Knights of Malta who held out <laughs> against, against, you know, thousands upon thousands of invaders. These young knights of Malta. Like, he just started going on <laughs> like about, like, just these various episodes in history and stuff. And he's like, you remind me of the knights of Malta. And, and he started going like, you know, I used to be at the University of Queensland myself, Drew. And, uh, you know, people don't know, but I was the president of the University of Queensland Legal Society and I was the president of uh, some of the colleges there and I was I was in the UQ Union and you know I, I I wasn't against the Vietnam War but when those protests happened at the same time I, I thought like he just would go on these massive yeah. rants about just like he just go on, he started talking like for 40 minutes about his history at UQ like like the Vietnam War protest was like you know on one hand they had something going for them on one hand you know these people they were just saying that they wanted to march but on the other hand, they were t- selling out the diggers. Like, it just, <laughs> just, like, going, like... Like, this is how he talks, you know? It was amazing. And um, I just, like, sit there kind of, like, for hours, like, while he's just, like, jumping from one topic to the next on the phone. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, all right, well, Drew, uh, I've decided to back you, and uh, I'm coming down to uh, Brisbane, and I'll be there soon, and we'll we'll do a press conference. And and then and he just hung up straight away, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so, like, his staff members get in contact with me, and they're like, okay, we'll do... We'll do this outside uh, Queensland Parliament. Can you come at this time, blah, blah, I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. And like 60 Minutes found out that he called me up and they're like, we want to do like a five-minute special on this. So like, we'll come as well. And so I like rock up and all my friends come as well because everyone's just like, holy shit, like the mad cat are like, this is funny. <laughs> yeah, so, you gotta go see. yeah, so everyone, just, my mates just like rock up and I introduce myself to Bob and he's like not even looking me in the eye. He's like, yeah, that's all right, Drew, that's all right. And I'm like, I was like, thank you so much for doing this for me, Bob. And he's like, it's not for you, Drew, it's for the country. <laughs> and then, like, thank you for then, your service. And then we, um, and we start like the, um, we start the press conference and he brings out like a printed, a printed piece of paper that has the UQ logo on it. And he changed, <laughs> he changed the UQ logo. Like there's some like Latin inscription on the UQ logo. logo. I can't remember what it says but he had changed the Latin inscription to like cowards and prostitutes. <laughs> so he had like, he had this like UQ logo and just grabbed it out of his, pa- out of his hand. He's like, UQ have become nothing but a set of cowards 
and prostitutes. <laughs> he's, he's a content and, machine. And, and, and I'm just understanding the next time going like, shit, am I going to be cancelled for this? Like, are people going to say Drew's against the sex worker community? Like, <laughs> so like, I'm just, I'm just like kind of bizarre. I'm like, mm, okay. And then, um, and he's just like, they've not only sold out their body, the University of Queensland, they've sold their soul as well. Like he was getting really animated. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, um, I was like, oh, wow, amazing. And, and then it came to me to say something. I was like, you know, very, I absolutely agree with you, Bob. And I think there might be even a corruption investigation against UQ and the vice. And then Bob was like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> and I was like, there would be a corruption investigation. I was like, no, you could get sued. Shh, shh. Like he was even trying to stress me up. And it was just, it was just such a bizarre interview. And uh, it just was like, there'd be times in the press conference where you just go off onto tangents, just like, just talking about like, you know, just taxis and like, uh, <laughs> and like issues related to North Queensland, nothing to do with UQ. And I'd just be like standing there going, yeah. yeah. Is, he, is he ever taking you like pig hunting in, oh, in Queensland? Wish, wish, uh, that's a long-term goal of mine. I mean. Uh, On the Rumbos at the, uh, the Birdsville Hotel or something? Uh, I haven't actually been in North Queensland with him. Surprisingly, Bob does not drink. You would not suspect that. But I don't know. It, it's an interesting thing. He loves thing a milkshake, doesn't he? he? Yeah, me and him both love chocolate milkshakes. So we would just like go, after that six minutes, like, let's film you going to lunch or whatever and keep talking. And like, um, <laughs> and then he got a milkshake, I got a milkshake. And he's just talking to me about like the Knights of Malta. and The classic political press <laughs> too. And, and he's just like, what, was, what else was he talking about? Like, just so much bizarre stuff. Can we pause for a second? Because I actually wrote it down somewhere. And I, I want to just Here, like go refresh for it, my get mind. It out. So I took down a note of <laughs> The Bob Caddis conversations were so fucking funny at the time that I took down notes just like so I could remember them. Catterism. Cater- yeah, <laughs> you should exactly, write a book like, on him. Just uh, best, the Catter Dictionary. I want to write a book eventually about these crazy years and I reckon there'd be a whole chapter just on the Caddis stuff because it's so good, right? So, you know, you got to. He just rung me up one day. He's just like, I want to humiliate the University of Queensland. I want to humiliate Varghese and Hoy. Like, he just was going really hardcore. I'm going to. I just talked to Albanese about you and I'm going to talk to ScoMo tomorrow. Like, like he's crazy, right? Because he's good mates with Anthony Albanese. He actually he? is. And um, and he also had like, connect, he could walk into a meeting with the Prime Minister and he was like, I'm taking this to the Prime Minister. And then he just like suddenly changed and he started going like- They'd be like, yeah, okay, Bob, come in. <laughs> All right. So, so, what now? so we're, planning, we're planning what we're going to do. And there goes- they just suddenly changed. Like, we have three weeks of petrol in this country. How are we to fight a war with three weeks of petrol? We have just five to six tanker farms in this country, a bit of ethanol too. The Americans <laughs> built a lot of our ethanol for this country. They've got hundreds of tanker farms. Didn't want to be dependent on the Middle East, built it themselves. We've only got five or six. I'm like, yep, yep, okay. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> now, with just three weeks petrol, we can't fight a war. You see the petrol submarines, they just sink to the bottom. You can't have an army with just three weeks of petrol. Those guys who attacked you at UQ, they wouldn't have to do much to blow those five or six tanker farms up. You don't need to t- trace a bullet. You could do it from a mile away. That's all you'd need, Drew. The country could just be taken down with just a few bullets. Just a few, Drew. And I think like, this is the <laughs> fucking like, like, This guy's <laughs> been to war. These are his war stories. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ, Bob. It was really schizo because, yeah, we were just supposed to be talking about my case with UQ and it's just like, now here's how I blow up Australia's energy infrastructure. <laughs> like, he's seen some shit. Like he's going through it. Just, oh my it's God. It's like he's having PTSD. He's like got shell shock. And the night before he's just like, oh, Drew, you don't know what it was like. Three tanks at petrol. Oh God. It was, it was just so, so fucking nuts. I mean, I love it though. It was so fucking funny. And then another time, um, and it was a brilliant time. It was, I think it was a couple of weeks later or whatever. And he just called me in the middle of the day one day and was like, Drew, I'm coming down this afternoon to see you. I want you to round up 15, 20 of your mates We'll have pizza at your house. We're going to discuss the plan against UQ. 
And then, and then um, I heard him like his wife yelling in the background. He was like, because maybe he didn't tell his wife, like I'm just going to Brisbane. <laughs> and then he just started going. My wife's mad at me because I didn't lock the lock the horses in the in the, like what was it called? <laughs> like when you pen the horses in or something like that. He was like, I didn't I didn't lock them up at at night. But you know what? If you ask me, horses are born to roam free. <laughs> 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 He actually said this shit to me like Let a thousand blossoms yeah. bloom Let the horses run free Yeah This is just what he was saying to me right Just I'm like oh okay, okay Bob So I'm just Because I had just been going about my day You know I had plans Like I'd been at university or whatever And he just goes I'm coming down this afternoon Drew. And his wife's yelling in the background just, Horses are meant to roam, th- roam free <laughs> And then like And then he calls up He had like two phones for some reason So like he'd call up his like staff member And he'd be like Listen, I want you to book the flight tonight, and then they'd be like, "It's not possible, Bob. It's not possible." He's like, "Just get it done." And like, and, <laughs> just, and then he like came over at like seven o'clock in a taxi because he he's so ardently against Ubers. Like he's been a massive champion of the taxi industry. Came with the hat, and he had a briefcase, and like, yeah, I had like 15, 20 of my mates assembled, and we had like we ordered pizzas in, and I didn't ever really understand like. What was the purpose or point of this meeting? Like, why there was an urgent need to have all my mates? Come. I think he just wanted an audience because, in the end, like, I'm not even kidding. He just like we talked about the UQ case for like five ten minutes, and he was just coming up with ideas like, "Now, Drew, we need you to get a hot air balloon and stuff like that." Just like, really, <laughs> just, <great story. laughs> just really cook shit. And then and then he goes like, and then and then um. He just started talking to my friends and stuff like that. And one of them was like, what's your favourite Slim Dusty song? And he just started breaking into song. And, it, and it, just for the rest of the night, he was just singing Slim Kinda Dusty song. man or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was my experience with Kata, just like the constant uh, the constant jolts from one topic to the next, the very short attention span, which is amazing because I'm a Zoomer on, you know, we've got TikTok. TikTok. Yeah. yeah, Bob... Bob is potentially the most ADHD man of you've ever met. He was the OG history. millennial. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, I've been diagnosed with ADHD. I reckon Bob 100% is the most ADHD bloke I've ever met in my entire life. And it's good. I fucking love it. Like, it's so he funny. Goes. He's got so much energy and he comes up with such amazing shit. Like, he was, he was going to me, now, Drew, Drew going to get in a hot air balloon and it's going to float over UQ and you're going to unfurl a banner against Vargis like like the president of the chancellor. <laughs> These are the ideas he's coming up He probably can't say them to his advisors or whatever. That's why he needed the group of U15 to go. These, uh, are, these are good ideas and everyone, have, you guys are just sitting there going, yeah, this is, and, um, oh, this is unreal. Yeah, and, let's do it. And it was just, he was just telling, <laughs> let's get a blimp. Yeah, let's get a blimp. And it was, he was coming up with just amazing stuff and he went sidetracked. I'm not even joking about this. This was a real kind idea. He was telling me that like, the Australia Zoo, like the Irwins, like, you know, Bob Irwin, yeah. Vindio, and Apparently they'd gotten pissed off at him one time when he was just talking about culling all the crocodiles. Because <laughs> he just wants like, like fucking a genocide of crocodiles. Like, like it's really horrible. Like, yeah, right. he's, he's like, the only good crocodiles are dead ones. Like, he's just, he's just like, I'm not even, like he, he actually brings it up in conversation. Like he's really animated about it. And um, he was telling me he had an idea and his staffers wouldn't let him do it, but he wanted to go to like the Australian Zoo. Like, what is that the one where the Irwins? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was saying like he wanted to go to the Australian Zoo and like have a protest outside, like dressed as a crocodile or something like that. I don't even fucking care. Fucking skin boots, the belt. I, I don't even understand what the point of the protest would be. I think he just wanted to like, I think because, I think his idea was like, they're mocking the North Queenslanders for wanting a cull. Well, what if we took the crocodiles to them? And well, they've got crocodiles at the Australian <laughs> Zoo or whatever. But I think he wanted to have a protest outside dressed as a crocodile. And this how was actually pe- an idea. How many people are dying to crocodiles every year? I don't know. We'd have to get that. Yeah, video. I don't know. Yeah. Jamie, get that up. I don't know. I don't know. But the amazing thing is, like, 
none of it, like none of the stuff you see in the news, like it's it's not fucking put exaggerated. on. It's not, it's not exaggerated. Like Bob is literally like this, and it's like you after a one hour meeting with Bob, you're like tired. Like man, I thought it's I like had a ADHD lecture. <laughs> yeah, I thought I had ADHD. Like Bob, oh my god, just another level. Just fifty topics in like ten minutes. And um, one time I was, I, one time I was with him at like a Mexican restaurant, and and he just called up like the Batuta Advocate editors, and he's just going like, "Now listen here, you withdraw your bid for the Winter Olympics because it's Mount Isa's Winter Olympics." What was that? But he's getting like really into it. Like, yeah, I don't know, it's Bob. It, it's such an interesting one because yeah, it, it's not put on at all. He's genuinely just this whirlwind of activity and ADHD energy, and he's like really funny. And I can't believe there are people who think of him like as a neo-Nazi or whatever. I think in Melbourne he's pretty cancelled. <laughs> yeah. I think in Brisbane he's not woke like, enough. Down yeah, there. look, my perspective on that. Obviously, he said cooked things in the past. Like the bloke's like what seventy-seven or something yeah. like that. Like he's the oldest guy in the parliament. If you actually look at his views, like he's got some pretty cooked social conservative takes, etc. But on the ec- economic stuff, like you know, even with basically agrarian socialists, like but even you look at like. The issues now, like Alice Springs and crime, especially amongst the indigenous community. One thing he's been a big advocate for is not actually locking them up in juvenile detention. He's yeah. actually, you know, taking them to remote farms. You know, actually working there and kind of getting respect for yeah. the land, as opposed to just institutionalizing them in prisons. Yeah, which is quite a progressive look. It's it's actually really interesting. He's got a really long, interesting relationship with um the indigenous community in North Queensland. Like they have a lot of respect for him, and um. Yeah, it's amazing because he goes out to the remote communities and they have a lot of respect for him. And and uh, he's been advocating for a really long time that Indigenous Australians um, be granted freehold title. Like they, He's basically advocating land yeah. rights to, my, no to my knowledge. The white people in Melbourne who probably want to cancel him would have no idea have of no these idea progressive that, yeah. views look, which he actually has. Look, he's basically been advocating for land rights for Indigenous Australians for decades. Yeah, and shit. and I, I was going through some of his press releases one time and he was like, none of the woke lily pad lefties in Canberra would have known about... And he just like dropped this like decolonial text. Like, And I, I'm not kidding. Like, he, he was just like, I reckon these woke lily pad lefties should have should read this. And it was like some anti-colonial like academic book written by like a really progressive Indigenous writer in Melbourne. So it's really interesting because like he has like the tone and the language and the way he speaks is like quite conservative. Yeah, he's like the lily pad woke lefties, but like he's like drop it, name yeah, dropping he's, like yeah, he's trying to do a really like, good message. He's <laughs> yeah, in the like right he's place. name dropping like decolonial text. Yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. And um, and like one time, one time I saw him with like this huge tome, like a pick Thomas Piketty, the French writer on inequality, and like he this the Thomas Piketty is like you know. He's a socialist. He advocates for socialism. Yeah, explain and Bob that just, to us, and Bob, I'm, I'm not and, and Bob, Bob's like literally just reading like this thousand page book on socialism. Like, so some people actually get it, right? Like <laughs> there, there's a Facebook page and it's really fucking funny. It's called like Marxist Leninist or Bob Catter. And like they do all this like, like greetings comrades from the People's Republic of North Queensland. <laughs> Glorious revolution. To, like, and they have this, all this. But honestly, like Bob on economic matters, he's quite left wing. Like, yeah, yeah. I yeah. saw the bro- bloke reading a thousand-page book on socialism, and he yeah. was—he ta- told me like, he was like, "Listen, Drew, I disagree with Bernie on the abortion stuff, but I'd vote for him in America." I was like, <laughs> I was like "Okay, wow." Yeah, he's pretty sure. Well, so see, like, well, look, I, he's not—you're not going to get everything. I mean, this guy's like literally the oldest bloke in Parliament. He's from North Queensland. So where? What's his? What's his? But, but he's been held by his family. Kennedy so years, for Kennedy. For but years. yeah, the, the interesting thing is like, obviously, you're not going to get very socially progressive takes out of this guy. No. He's so old. He's from North Queensland, but. 
if you look at his stuff, he's a proud CFMEU member. He loves the unions. Like, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. So, so did touch he- one, touch all. Yeah. <laughs> no, he literally, you know, he goes to like the fucking CFMEU like uh, national gala every year, and he they love him too. No, and he goes, he goes to like um, the CFMEU rallies and stuff like that. He gives speeches. He's like very proud. He like shows off his CFMEU membership in his. It's interesting. <laughs> like, it's not. Like the reason he loves the CFMEU, I think, is for Colt. Which is so you're not going to, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Melbourne types will not appreciate that. But I, I was trying to push him in a bit of a progressive direction at one point. Like I got him at one point to drive in an electric vehicle, and uh, and that went up on TikTok. And you know, he he uh, he and his some of the staff members I was working with, like they got him to put out a press release where he actually teamed up with Adam Bent, believe it or not, the Greens, yep. to call for all. Commonwealth cars to be made electric and made in Australia. He was like, "Let's build in a domestic, <laughs> let's build a domestic electric vehicle manufacturing facility." So with Bob Catter, you can have like the most, you can get him to to vote for the most progressive stuff if you just go made in Australia. Yeah, so, yeah. So you could be like, you could probably conceivably be like, you know, we should have a domestic sex toy manufacturing facility made in <laughs> Australia. Yeah. Like, like oh. if you if you framed it in those terms of Bob, I reckon he'd probably back, back it. Like, if you, I don't yeah. know, like. What, what's something that's just like really lefty in work? I don't know. Like Sorry, I was just going to say, we, we've been on Bob Catter for a while. So that's we, all right. We'll yeah. move on. So did he get <laughs> you? We've got yeah. a lot of content to uh, get Anyway, through. anyway. Yeah, basically, right. So did, did he get you wanting to run for Senate? Is he um, the inspiration? It's, very or? Inter- it's a very interesting thing. So um, I'm probably the only bloke in all of Australian history to go from the Australian Greens to the Catter Party. So, <laughs> so, so I've got a very interesting political history where I think when I was 18, I joined Labor. And then... I was really pissed off at some of the kids in Young Labor who were like attacking me over my protests regarding China. So I was like, and I was reading that the Greens had a really strong position on like the Uyghur genocide. They were the first party to talk about in Australia. So I was like, and they supported Tibet for decades. So I was like, hmm, maybe I could like, you know, get ahead here from a human rights perspective. And I genuinely was coming at everything from like a quiet left of center. Like I was coming at things from a quiet left wing perspective. Like probably at the time I was getting expelled, I would have identified as a socialist and stuff like that. So I joined up to the Greens and then um, I guess I just got frustrated because there was there were all these Greens who were who were saying like, well, it's if you're criticizing China, it's coming from a place of xenophobia, and yeah. uh, and uh, there was even a point where like Jordan Steele, John, the Greens spokesperson for um, defense or whatever, you know, he's he's officially their piece of disarmament spokesperson. He came out and he just said like Taiwan's not an issue for Australia, and it's racist for Australians to, to you know say we should defend Taiwan. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? So I, I obviously really didn't like that, and. Um, and then Bob Caddy like was just like the one guy who really, really came in and just like saved my bacon where if it wasn't for him, UQ was trying to expel me for life. It was him and Tony Morris, the barrister who represented me for free. I also, that guy in my life, Tony Morris, amazing guy. But, um, you know, I was really lucky when, when Bob came in. Like he, he, actually, he actually gave speeches on the floor of parliament about me and like he was like, Drew, give me the names of 12 of your mates. And then I was like, okay, sure. And I gave him 12 names. And he had a f- speech on the floor of parliament and was like, I want to honour... Drew and the 12 disciples of democracy. <laughs> and, like, and he just like read out my, my mate's names on the floors of Parliament. So, um, you know, he was such a big help to me. And um, as I started, like, as I started talking to him more and more, and I, I like, I guess it was probably prompted from like the time I saw that he was just carrying around this like a thousand page book on socialism. Like, as I started like looking more and more, like he was telling me like, you know, he backs the unions, he's against like unrestrained free market capitalism. He wants more like domestic manufacturing. He wants more... Um, yeah, he, he once called for like a commission to free market capitalism in Australia, says that it's like putting, like like he was coming at things from like a really you know, left-wing kind of agrarian socialist perspective. And my sort of thought bubble was like, 
damn, like I already get along so well with Bob. Like, because we'd done a couple of media things together and like, like we just had a bit of like a natural co- yep. connection. I would say, you know, there was, there was something there, you know. So on this set, uh, it was a, oh, I'll rephrase that. But I just, you know, there, there was a, there was a great, you know, synergy between me and Bob in terms of just like being larrikins, I suppose. You know? <laughs> Australian larrikins. Yeah. And just, and I thought, sort of thought like, shit, I know Bob has some of the more social right wing views. If he were to drop the culture war stuff and just focus on, you know, let's rebuild Australian manufacturing, let's have more, pu- let's go against privatization and ha- have more public ownership of Australian industries, let's um, let's build Australian electric vehicles, let's build, like, let's have this massive investment in, you know, lithium mining, all the all this stuff that you need for, you know, the coming decades ahead with um, green power and stuff like that. I was thinking, damn, what if he? he- what if Bob focuses if he if he emphasizes that more like progressive part of his economic message, drops the culture war right wing stuff because I didn't really I never really liked that stuff, and he's already such a meme among young people and people think he's so funny and stuff like that, and like I had a lot of support when I got expelled from university. A lot of people followed me and a lot of support. Like there was a point where I'd be I'd be going down the street in Brisbane and you know like every couple minutes someone would like pat me on the back and go good on you mate and stuff like that. And Bob could see that and he actually was like, you know, you've got a future in politics, Drew, and stuff like that, which was quite nice of him. Maybe he just says that to everyone, but but anyway, anyway. Trying around the troops. Anyway, I I basically came to him with the idea. I was like, listen, like, what if I, you you don't run anyone. What if I'm the best parts of you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was like, what if we do all the popular parts of Volcata without the the divisive culture war stuff? We just do the popular parts and just really focus on the memes and stuff. That was the idea. And um, I thought, honestly... There was something there to it. I reckon it could have worked. But I think the problem is the other people in the Cata Australian Party are much more traditional, straight-down-the-line conservative. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I think other people in the Cata Party didn't like the fact that Bob liked unions. I think they didn't like the fact that Bob would, like, come out and be like, oh, I'm an agrarian socialist. <laughs> like, I think they were, like, kind of... They wanted to push against that and be mates with Pauline Hanson and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and I think Bob was, like, pretty keen on the idea and he was pushing for it inside the party but in the end the idea got voted down yeah. and I think it's probably for the best because I think if I ran for Qatar at some point they would have said something super cooked that I just could not have agreed with agree whatsoever with, yeah. and then people forevermore would go Drew wants to blah 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 all these people like yeah, they just spin it yeah they'd smear me as far right etc forever <laughs> I still identify actually on the left I it was a creative out of the box it was a creative out of left field idea where what if Bob just focused on his agrarian socialist part of the message and really connected with young people with his memes and I could run for Senate with him. What that is was the it, idea. Bob Catter's Crocodile Farm? Yeah, yeah, like exactly. Look, people love this stuff and, and this was the idea and Bob loved it, but I think other people in the party didn't want it to go ahead. Yeah. Any, and sorry, sorry, I was cut you off, but we've yeah. got a fair bit to go through. Yeah, yeah, so that's the end of that Can story. We, <laughs> <you> <laughs> we've been on Bob Catter for about 40 minutes. So you're in Melbourne now. you got to get better than transitions. Yes, yes. So you're in Melbourne with this because what are you down here for? You've... Famously, yes. last year you had the Peng Shui yeah, yeah. Um, protests, which yeah. was, again, a very good cause. I think everyone can get behind. Everyone was worried that she's gone missing. You did the same thing at Wimbledon as well, didn't yeah. you? And you were all over, like, the New York Times, like, prominent look, media things. Look, I think... So, basically, like, the heat from the Chinese government over the past six months has gone really, really hard on me. And I think it's because over the... Probably, like, the last year was, like... If, if that whole, like, experience at UQ and stuff was pretty successful from the point of view of exposing CCP influence and all that sort of stuff. Like, last year was just 
gangbusters, I guess, in terms of activism. So, like... Well, they've just added a you know, petrol tank to the flame. It's almost you do what the royal f- family does. Don't deny, don't reply. Like, if you <laughs> don't don't talk about it, like, it's not going to yeah. be in the media. But the fact they go hard after you and, like, make such a fuss... Yeah, it's insane. So, um, in the end, I still wanted to run for politics. So, I formed my own political party. And we had the first, like, Uyghurs to run, the first Tibetans to run, the first Hong Kongers to... Hong Konger democracy activists to run. Basically, like, a full-on pro anti-CCP party. And they really didn't like that. And, um... So at the start of the Australian Open, when yeah. you first did that last year, didn't you originally yeah. handing out shirts, weren't you? Like you had like a yeah. hundred wearing Peng Shui, and then they were kicking you so, out, so and the then wa- you gained yeah. it made your attention from that. Yeah. So the way it worked, basically, like, it, so we had that political party, Democratic Alliance, and some of those guys in the political party, like we had two or three activists, and they went into the Australian Open, and they just had a shirt that said "Where's Peng Shui." It was like a really simple message, and um, the security guards on video demanded they take off the shirt right in front of everyone. And one of them was a girl. And, you know, there's like... The Australian Open's just packed. There's like a thousand people walking past. Like, they're not going to undress in front of everyone. But they were so aggressive and they were like... They, they were say They were threatening the police on them and stuff like that. And luckily it was all on video because we put that up and it just went viral straight away. And Martina Navratilova... Um, and a number of top tennis players were like, this is a disgrace. How can they ban discussion of Peng Shui? Yeah. Because the WTA's actions in regards to that was shocking, weren't they? So, Before they didn't... So WTA are kind of good because they, they've said we're not going to hold tournaments in China while she's, while she's not safe. But the, the Grand Slams and the yeah, ATP, the, play, yeah, the ATP and like the men's tour and the Grand Slams have been just atrocious. So like the facts of the case are pretty shocking. And it's... It's really crazy because you say, like, you know, this is a cause that everyone should support. And I agree. But, man, like, it is not like that online. Like, I'm getting 500, 600 abusive hate comments every day from the CCP supporters. They literally set the bots on us. They're saying, oh, it's all a scam. She's well. She's safe. You're sexually harassing Peng Shui. You're stalking Peng Shui. It's, like, fucking mental. Well, it's like, have you seen that video of the, the Vietnam War bloke who got you know taken hostage and he's there and then he does the video where he's like blinking in morse yeah, code yeah, saying literally. i'm not okay yeah so, so for those listeners aren't familiar with it peng shui accused a ccp ccp official yeah. of sexual assault um basically went missing for three months and then came back and yeah. did a video saying i am okay nothing happened this so, was just a lie yeah so imagine probably one of the most famous sports people in china definitely the most famous chinese tennis player um like the most, one of the most famous athletes in China, she'd always been promoted by the CCP as like a top patriotic athlete. She was always like promoted as like, you know, this is the example of the nation, like could not put a foot wrong. And she was so famous and beloved in China. And, you know, it's almost equivalent to like, imagine if Ash Barty had put out this statement or imagine if like Serena Williams or, or even letting go of tennis, like it's almost like on the scale because, you know, China's a country with billions of people and she's one of the most popular athletes. It's almost as big as, like, say, Ronaldo or Messi coming out. Well, they were crazy. doing it. They did to the... They're not scared of anyone. They did it to, what, Jack Ma went missing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, they'll get the billionaires. Yeah. They're just cracking down. So, so They're just going on a three-month holiday where they haven't accessed any <laughs> social media no at all. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they'll probably, yeah, do another some bad stuff as well, but a lot of people go missing if they so, speak out. Yeah, so, so Peng Shui, she went on the Chinese version of Twitter and she basically said the vice president of China conducted this years-long affair with me. I was pressured into the affair, and on multiple occasions, he forced me to have sex with him, basically accusing him of rape. And, um, and you know, within 20 minutes, it was censored, taken down. You couldn't search Peng Shui's name on the Chinese internet. So imagine you can't even fucking search Ash Barty or Serena Williams on Google. And they even took down tennis forums. Like, that's how insane they went. You, they actually... It's they, dystopian. Yeah, it they is. froze tennis forums. So, like... 
So one of the biggest like tennis forums on the Chinese internet just froze. You couldn't talk about talk on the forum. They were shutting down tennis forums because they just didn't want anyone to talk about Peng Shui. It's that insane. And then like three weeks later or four weeks later or whatever, comes out and like you say, it's almost like that footage of the uh, American POW in America blinking, I'm being tortured in Morse code. Yeah, she, yeah, she, she's just going, you know, I'm safe, I'm fine. Please do not worry about me. Um, I, didn't, I never made an allegation of rape. I'm completely safe. And they've actually got like a calendar behind her open with the date. It's almost like a hostage proof of life video. Like, she, see, she's alive. Yeah. And for some reason, that was enough for some people. Some people were like, oh, she's alive. So case closed. But then like, she hasn't, been, fucking kidding? No. She hasn't yeah. been allowed out of the country. Though. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Like. Well, I think she like, she did, she was taken to Singapore at one, mo- one moment, but it was like on a super stage managed tour. And like, basically she, like one of the top Chinese government propaganda journalists pretended that he had just run into her in Singapore. Like she's just walking around Singapore as though she's, <laughs> yeah. and it, it wasn't like that. Yeah, it, set up, it wasn't, yeah, yeah it wasn't fa- like, so it's in like this kind of like resort or bi- building. Like it's not on the street of Singapore or whatever. And she's just walking past. And this, this guy who happened to be one of the top propagandists in China, just, Oh, Wow, Peng Shui, what are you doing here? Like, we're talking this level of stupidity, like the shittiest propaganda you could ever go. She goes, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I never made any allegations. And like, and then that's, yeah. that's it. Like, people go, oh, wow, she's fine. Holy yeah. shit. And, and so, like, you still can't really talk, you can't talk about Peng Shui in China. Like, this whole thing, it's just, everyone knows. Like, imagine just, like, imagine the most famous Australian athlete comes out and they're like, oh, this top politician raped me. And then that athlete is then censored from the internet. You can't even search her name. If you even talk about her, like you're at risk yourself. Like it's just sick. It's dystopian. And so when the Australian Open tried to ban the Peng Shui shirts and it turns out the Australian Open has like Chinese sponsorships worth tens of millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. One of the major sponsors Pumped is- plenty of money. Into blood it. money. Yeah, it's blood money. One of the major sponsors is a Chinese liquor company that's backed by the CCP. And um, the broadcast rights in China, let alone, those alone are worth millions. And so they were just- Straight up, just trying to censor any discussion of her, and it's like that's sick. She was she played at the Australian Open. She was a top player at the Australian Open, and you're just going to pretend this player never existed mm. because you want to get your money from China. One, it's fucking blood money. One of the more iconic photos was was it one of the finals of the games? Is where you were with Ferg, um, <laughs> and you were standing like front row, and you had the shirts on, cuts out, and the old Terry Towling hats. And I think yeah, you're yeah. like, so I'll explain. Right, so they they banned two people for wearing the Peng Shui shirts. So the night that happened, I just had like a kind of. I had like basically ADHD energy and I was like, what can I do? What can I do? I was like, we will print a thousand shirts and we will hand them out for free at the final and then try ban a thousand people. And I didn't even know whether I could do that. And I didn't even know whether it'd work. I just had this feed of ADHD energy and I was like, let's will this into existence. And so I made the GoFundMe and I, I was like, it'd be good if, you know, I, I didn't know how much money we'd raise. I wanted to do the thousand shirts. I didn't know whether we'd actually, suddenly, you know, money pours in. We got 550 donors from across the world donating like $25,000 basically. So we could print in the end like 1,300 shirts, 1,400 shirts. Um, and we handed out like, there's still a couple hundred in boxes that we're going to try and hand out over the, at other Grand Slams. But um, yeah, we handed out 1,000 for free at the Australian Open wow. Women's Final. And um, it was amazing. And yeah, we, we got let in. They had to back down on the ban. And so me and Ferg went in and Ferg was just... I just knew him from social media and he'd done an interview with me one time and I was like, Ferg, do you want to come through? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he just, we had bucket hats on and we just went and it was fucking fun. <laughs> and it was so funny when we got in, it was like such a kind of moment of success because like five, six days earlier, they were censoring it and then suddenly, you know, we're all walking in with the Punk Shui shirts. A real kind of castle sort of, uh, yeah, know, the little man yeah, getting exactly. in the win. Exactly. And so um, they, oh man, they fucking hated that, the Chinese government. So they had um, one of the top propag- propagandists, this guy, Hu Jin Chin, Hu Zijin, 
who was the former editor of Global Times, which is one of the top propaganda rags, he was like, if, the, if they're in the broadcast, we're going to cut the broadcast. Like, that's what they were saying. They were threatening to cut the broadcast in China. So if you, you, if you watch the final broadcast that year, they go to the fans in the crowd and you'd see white shirts and they cut it straight away the second they see a white shirt. But that in itself proved our point, you know, that there were a thousand people in that audience. They wouldn't even dare show the audience in a lot of the shots because they didn't want it to be cut in China. And um, they, they were really upset the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs, I think, were condemning us. And they set bots on me and they were going, Drew's just stole the $25,000. There were no shirts at all. How come... They were, their argument was, the shirts weren't in the broadcast. Therefore, the shirts <laughs> don't exist. The shirts You've been the watching bro- the wrong broadcast, yeah, brother. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, there's still this fucking psycho conspiracy theory where all the Chinese bots go... Drew has stolen $25,000 from his supporters and there were never Peng Shui shirts. What a job. And so the, yeah. you know, people there just yeah, yeah. in China. So, I, I've got so there's a lot of people that know your name in China that look, just, look, for a job is just to harass you look, every day. Yeah. Look, for example, I've got this friend called Vicky Xu and she's, she did research that exposed like weaker forced labour in China. And so it actually cost the Chinese government billions because massive, ma- massive brands pulled out. And um, fucking Vicky... They did an analysis of the bot attacks she was facing. They they went ferociously against her. Like they um they took one of her friends and like basically like Vicky was scared that her friend was gonna be tortured. And so they took one of her friends, they were like, tell us everything about Vicky. They forced the friend to hand over all their chat logs. And then and then they were like putting up these like really creepy videos with, with their AI voice director going like Vicky Zhu has betrayed the Chinese nation by s- having sex with black men. Like, I'm not even kidding. This was the psycho shit they were attacking Vicky Zhu for. Like, Wild. how sick is that? Like, and it, it kind of betrays the kind of fascist element to it because they're like, she's betraying the Han bloodline by <laughs> by having sex with black men. Like, what the fuck? Like, really who are they? Stuff. Yeah, like who are they trying to convince yeah. with that propaganda? Yeah. Like, just sick shit. And so they did an analysis of the bot networks attacking Vicky and they found that like they were most prevalent from 9am to 5pm Beijing time and they actually had a fucking cut off at lunchtime in Beijing. <laughs> <laughs> so, they just oh, God. so like, oh, I'm not even, I'm not even kidding. Like, like from nine to 12, they'd be going hard and then just 12 o'clock, just smoko boys. And then, <laughs> then they go oh, back God. to just, they, they go back to just their entire life is just harassing this one lady. So it's fucking sick. This is how the bots work. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. All right, moving on from the uh, the bots. Yes. So you've been, what, you, you explain it. So you've been help, helping out in Ukraine or something or you've, uh, what's your story from Ukraine? So I went in the fifth or sixth week of the war, I think it was. I, I just- What do you mean what, you went? I, I wasn't, it wasn't nothing special. Basically, we organised a team of Aussie, Aussie volunteers, mostly just uni students. And there were heaps of supplies that were just sitting in like, warehouses across central Europe, like Germany, Austria, Poland. Yep. People had donated. And there was just no one to actually like take this stuff. And so um, we, we went over there, linked up with some Aussies over there. They donated a van to use for like three weeks rented. And uh, we just basically drove nonstop. And um, it was like about a hundred and shit. I don't, I don't know. It was, it, was, it was like 80, 90 hours worth of driving. I think. It was, how, how hard was it to get over into the Ukraine? Uh, look, it's, it's probably tougher now, I suppose. At the time... So we didn't go, it wasn't even anything really special. We, we went to Lviv, which is the far western region of Ukraine. So it's very far from the fighting. That said, though, it was um, struck by missiles like two or three days mm. after we left. So it has, been, it has been like hit by Russian missiles a couple of times during the war. But it was overall very safe when we were there. It was very interesting because like when we went there, you know, you'd see parents pushing strollers, p- pushing prams in the streets. You'd see dads with like kids on their shoulders. 
Um, there were markets and things like that. So it was just incredible that, you know, life was still going on while you'd hear the, the while like, you know, the air raid sirens would go off like every couple of days and stuff like that. And, and so there have been missile strikes in Lviv over the course of the conflict. Um, we, we delivered uh, like $30,000, $40,000 worth of humanitarian supplies in the end. It like just donated, like the Ukrainian community in Australia, for example, donated like 15,000 euro worth of medicine. We, we uh, helped deliver that. We also were delivering, yeah, just like, just humanitarian essentials. Like, for example, we were going to like Poland to the refugee camps where it's mainly women and children. So we were dropping off like sanitary pads, um, nappies, we are dropping off like blankets. Um, we had lots of food supplies, like non-perishables and stuff like that. So we just load up the van and we did like so many, so many trips. Like we'd leave at 4 a.m. in the morning and just literally drive nonstop for like 12 hours. So you could go from Austria to Ukraine you could go to from Austria to like the Polish border with Ukraine in about twelve hours, and so we'd just be on the road constantly. And uh, I reckon I packed on a couple kilos just <laughs> eating like fucking Oreos. Servo and pies, yeah. <laughs> mate. They don't have servo pies over there. A fucking horrible thing. Like in the gas stations in uh, in Europe, they make you pee to uh, like, no, so they make you pay to pee like yeah, in the right, toilet. Yeah. And I just refused on principle. I was like, <laughs> I was like fascism has has not left. Europe yet like the 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 ghost of fascism still lurks here. I'm helping out, but I still have my principles. Yeah, this is so, democracy manifest. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm not even kidding. Like every time I went to a gas station, I just jumped the turnstile. I'm not fucking paying to pee. Just on principle, <laughs> like this is a natural function of the human species. I'm not paying. That's a fuck thing that Europe does. But um, yeah. Look, we we were, we did um, we did so many supply runs. I think it was like. I think it was like possibly like five thousand six. It was like six thousand kilometers worth of driving in the end or something yeah. like that. Oh, fuck, I've got, I've actually got it somewhere. Um, I've got like the full. And that was just with all volunteers. Did you have Ukrainian people helping you? There was. How, how did you know where to go with all the? Yeah, there was a coordinator. So there were, um, there was a Ukrainian speaking guy with us mm-hmm. just from Brisbane, and um, yeah, look, they, it was pretty crazy. Like there were times where we'd drop off supplies at like official Ukrainian government depots, and like there'd be guys with Kalishnikovs outside guarding it, and yep. everyone's wearing body armor, and it was just hardcore, Jeez. like. <laughs> and that was like whoa. And um, yeah, when you're going into Ukraine, so you can cross the border from Poland, and it's like it's like hours and hours. It's probably to easy in. to get in. It's just getting out of the big issue. Oh yeah, it? getting out was like 16 hours. So like there were just um, massive buses worth buses full of refugees and stuff like that. It was really sad. There was there were abandoned dogs and stuff like that by the roadside. People had hadn't been able to take their pets. Like it was just so sad. And um. Yeah, getting out was like 16 hours, just completely still. Like you'd get out of the car and you'd just be like sitting on the roadside. Um, but yeah, getting in was really interesting. Like they um, they were pretty hardcore. Like we were checked by guys with like Kalishnikovs, like like you know assault rifles, and and I was I was like as soon as I saw a Ukrainian soldier, I was like fuck yeah, like I support Ukraine so much. So I was like I was like Slava Ukraina, and then they go like Roim Slava, like back. <laughs> it was really cool and. Um, yeah, it was so fuck, man. Like just just going past like checkpoints with like um, with guys wielding assault rifles, and when we started getting, getting when we started getting close to Lviv, there were like tank traps in the road. There were military checkpoints and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it was really interesting. And um, Lviv is like it's a very interesting thing because it was I think it was possibly like a city of half a million before the war, but it's now like one point five million. Like just so many refugees have, yeah, have yeah. poured into it, and it was it was amazing. Like. Um, you know, in some ways the city still was very alive and everything, but at the same time, like, there'd just be air raid sirens and I think it was two days after we left or three days after we left, like, there was a missile that struck a factory on the outskirts of the town 
And my parents were so pissed when I went to Lviv. Like, <laughs> like perennial problem yeah, child. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> man. Like, so um, they were like, we're not letting you go. And I was like, okay, I won't go into Ukraine. Like, just let me go if I'm just, I'll stay only in Poland. And, um, but when I got to Poland, I was like, oh, I've got to go to, yeah, I've got to go inside. can't do anything probably as, as Oh, much. look, like we delivered, we delivered a lot of supplies. Like, so I missed one trip because I got the norovirus and my friends delivered supplies to the, uh, Slova- Slovenia. S- Slovakian border I think with Ukraine yeah. so like um Userod and it was really interesting like they were they delivered supplies to Userod one day after there was a death there was like a gun battle outside the city because like a death squad of a Chechen death squad had tried to infiltrate the city tasked with like getting into Ukraine and killing Zelensky so like one day after my mates one day before my mates got into this city in western Ukraine which is ordinarily very peaceful during the conflict um yeah there had been like a gun battle between like a death squad and yeah, those, the Chechens, they're hardcore, aren't they? Well, it's interesting. They present themselves as hardcore, but like they got wiped out. Yeah, like like yeah, in right. the, in their first raid, like, I mean, it was um quite ironic because like, you know, Kadyrov and, and the Chechens, like they were, they were saying like, we're going to go into Ukraine and slaughter, slaughter and like, and pillage. And then like one of like their top guys was like just taken out on like the first day they yeah. went to Ukraine. Like, it's really interesting because the Russian military and the Chechens and everything, they present this, they want to present yeah, this really hyper masculine image and all, they all want to go like, the West is decadent and filled with homosexuals and blah, blah, blah. Like, they've just got this, like, the Russian propaganda at this stage of the war, it's not, I'm not even joking. Like, they say, like, the, you know, Zelen- like, Ukraine is being controlled by, like, gay homosexual demons and shit like that. And they say, like, Zelensky's the Antichrist and he's a homo. Like, it's just really insane. Yeah. Well, they call him a Nazi, yeah. don't they, when he's Jewish? Like- yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, it's like this weird connection. It's this weird fusion of neo Nazis and homosexuals and the Antichrist and demons from like this is their propaganda and um, it's just interesting because like they present this super tough guy image or whatever. But like man, like the Russian military has not had a good conflict in Ukraine. Like it, they thought they were going to win in a week. They mm. that when they originally when they initially sent tanks rolling in, like they had um, they had like riot. But, they had riot control gear in a lot of these, um, a lot of the armor ca- personnel carriers and the tanks. The idea was that they were going to um, use that to like suppress protests and crowds and stuff like that. But like, no, they just got destroyed. Like, so Ukraine, th- the fact that it's still going a year later, like Ukraine has like completely destroyed Russia's plans. Um, it's very tough at the moment. Like the wars sort of devolved into the, this grinding trench battle in the east um, with. With constant like Russian terror bombing of like Ukrainian cities and attempts to take out all the Ukrainian energy infrastructure, so that civilians will freeze in the winter. So it's a very very brutal war, and like you know it's not over by any means. But Ukraine like absolutely repelled that first attempt. Yeah. At, and isn't it isn't it weird as longer the the wars go on, you'd hear less and less about it in the media. It's well, that, sort of that's the sad thing. And and I felt so strongly that I felt like I had to go over there when it was when it started because, like. To me, it's still the front line in the battle for democracy against dictatorship. And, and the way I've always seen it, if Russia's successful in defeating Ukraine, China will, China will take lessons for that in invading Taiwan. And if China can successfully invade Taiwan, then what country across the Asia-Pacific is safe? Because it would, have, it would have proved that, like, you know, the system of alliances maintained by America and Asia... If if Taiwan if China successfully takes Taiwan, then it, it proves like you know Japan, South Korea, Australia, all these U.S. allies in the Pacific, like they can't necessarily rely upon American defense. It would also prove that it would also prove that you know like no small country is safe in Asia if a bigger country wants to invade. So like just the principle it sets, 
And China's been very basically China's openly backed Russia in my opinion. Like it's yeah, it's been pretty it's been pretty obvious like the entire time they've they've bent over backwards to avoid denouncing the it's war. It's very much like the enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of yeah, operation. And, and it's so interesting because like they have so many they had so many bus- they had extensive business ties with Ukraine. So it's really interesting that they just threw them under the bus the second that Russia started the war. Mm. And um basically Basically, like, if you look at all the Chinese propaganda inside China itself, like, they're telling, they're telling the Chinese population, like, Ukrainians are all Nazis, Russia's, Russia's justified in this war. Like, they, they're backing the war very openly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's a very dark time. I think Ukraine will win, but it, unfortunately, it is such a bloody slog at this point. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I just... We, we were able to raise about $5,000 um, from Australian donors for a Ukrainian refugee charity. Uh, no, like a Polish refugee charity for Ukrainian refugees in eastern Poland. And it's called Unitatum. If anyone is, you know, following the podcast, look up Unitatum. U-N-I-T-A-T-E-M. Good. We'll check it. We'll check it. Yeah, we'll check it in yeah, the, um, yeah, the English, I think the English name for it is Poland Welcomes. And they're a great charity. We saw their facilities firsthand. And, and you know, when we met the Ukrainian refugees, that had a really big effect because, you know, you're meeting these women and children and kids who have like you know a thousand yards there, like kids who've been, who, we we saw kids who had fled from places like Mariupol, which were just absolutely leveled by by Russia, and you know these were people with just nothing but the clothes on their backs, and they were, they had such haunted looks on their eyes. When you see that firsthand, like I have absolutely no time for the Russian propaganda, or even the people sympathetic to Russia inside Australia. I hate it. I hate it so much because because yeah. I've I met a lot of these innocent kids who just just lives destroyed for no reason it's, yeah it's so yeah, sad well we're a bit time limited so we'll get to the next key point which is the main one uh yeah. you've had a bit of strife in the last six months uh you're running a few protests in london and yeah. uk and for those who aren't listening um you basically got locked up by the met police Can yeah you give us a bit of context behind this god this one's just the most insane i've got good stories right i mean there's, there's a lot of good <laughs> yeah, stories yeah you've done a bit fuck bit. i mean so i went over to wimbledon to um, protest for Peng Shui. I didn't have the money to do it, but then there was like this free Tibet organization in, in the UK and they were like, we love what you did at the Australian Open. We want to do it in London too. We'll give you like $2,000 to buy a flight and it covered like 70% of the flight. So I was like, yep. And so I just, I literally booked a one-way ticket. I couldn't even afford a return ticket. And I only had like 500 Australian dollars left in my account after I booked the ticket because I had to use lo- most of the rest of my money. And I just went over there and I just was basically like couch surfing for three weeks. And um, like, I went to the Wimbledon final. I somehow got in. I found a scalper um, and I somehow managed to get in. I still can't believe I got in. Like, I, cause I was nervous when I went to Wimbledon, when I flew to the UK, I was like, holy shit, I'm going to the other side of the world to do a protest. What if it doesn't work out? It'd be such a waste. But I was so tired at that point. This was after I'd finished the election campaign where I'd just been traveling constantly. Plus I'd already gone to Ukraine in the year. So I was just so tired by this point already, but I was like, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And so I, I got there and I just knew like if I got there, I'd force myself to like kind of just like figure out a way to get into the final. And so like, I just like, I just sat down one day, spent hours and hours looking for a ticket, found the ticket. And then I got in and um, yeah, I, I had a, I, I snuck a poster down my uh, pants and yeah. I also, I also uh, smuggled another poster in under my Iron Williams boot. Like I yeah, got nice. in cause they do the check. So I somehow got in with the, the posters and I had a seat right at the back and uh, it was Kyrgios versus Djokovic. Yeah. And I was fucking stoked that Kyrgios was in the final. So I actually, <laughs> I actually wanted to watch the final. And um, it was funny because I didn't have much money to 
buy the ticket, but I had a couple of supporters in the UK who liked what I did in the Australian Open and they're like, okay, I'll chuck you 200 pounds, I'll chuck you 100 pounds, like just five, six guys who got together, paid the ticket. And so I'm watching the game and it's, I'm watching the match and it's like, it's the second set and like I'm starting getting messages from these guys like, you're not just here to watch the fucking tennis, mate. Like, we bought your ticket. Like, come on, are you going to do yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. But like, curiosity is yeah, in the match. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, curiosity is in the this match. This is my one pass. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, this is an Aussie Greek like me. I've got to, I've got to support it. And, um, and you know, they were just sort of buzzing me like, come on, come on, do it, do it. And I was like, shit, like, I actually am enjoying the match because it's a fucking good match. And, um, okay, I was like, shit, okay, I really don't want to interrupt Kyrgios because I know that Kyrgios goes fucking mental if anyone interrupts <laughs> yeah, his, like, yeah. server or anything like that. And also, I wanted Kyrgios to win, so I was like, I don't want to fucking yeah, disrupt wait, him. Yeah, yeah. I, I had this, like, haunted idea. I had this nightmare in my head, like, where if, if Kyrgios somehow, like, if Kyrgios ended up losing, sadly, he ended up losing to Djokovic, but I had this nightmare in my head where, like, Kyrgios loses very close, like a very close match. And then he comes out in the press after and he goes, I lost because of that guy who came up and disrupted the match. <laughs> and I would have felt so bad. Man. Yeah. I would have felt like I would have been Australian public enemy number yeah. one. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I, I really, I was haunted by that possibility. So I was really thinking in my head, like I really don't want to like fuck anything up. I just want to do like, like my plan was, okay, I'll wait for like a break between games. So every three games or whatever, the players go off, have like a minute, two minute water break. I was like, okay, I'll wait for one of those and I'll just go down like the aisle a little bit so I'm in a bit more visible location because I was right at the back. I was like, I'll go down a little bit more and I'll just hold up the poster and I won't yell or anything. I'll just hold up the poster during like the break in the games. And um, and I knew that like Djokovic was the one who was going to serve next so I wouldn't fuck up Kyrgios because <laughs> I, I wanted Kyrgios to win and I didn't want to cause any damage. Um. And honestly, I was not intending to disrupt the match at all. So what like, happened? You basically put the flag up. Yeah. You got spear tackled. Yeah, down, yeah. So, so basically, the second I got up, like they must have had all these security guards watching me, because the second I got up and I just held up the sign and they grabbed my wrist and like ripped the sign from my hand and I'm like, shit, I've like, I've used my last bit of money to fly to London. I've gotten all these guys to help me get the ticket to the final. I've come all this way. I can't do. I can't do nothing. So they've grabbed my wrist. They're starting like to frog march me down the aisle. And I was like, okay, shit, I've got to do something. And obviously I wasn't really like focusing on what was happening in the match at this point. I thought it was still the break and play. So I just, I was just like, okay, I've got to call out. So I just yelled out as loud as I could, where is Peng Shui, where is Peng Shui, the Chinese tennis player kidnapped by the Chinese government. And, um, and I didn't realise, but Djokovic had begun serving. And so like in the, in the event, like in yeah, what ended up happening. Yeah, 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 it was dead quiet. And in the end, like, I think there was like a 15, 30 second disruption to the match. And I think everyone thought I was an Extinction Rebellion protester because everyone started like <laughs> clapping as I got brought out. And I was like, come on guys, like if you knew what happened to Punk Shui, surely you're not gonna clap it out. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, the second I started yelling, like they, the security guards, guards got really rough and they started like trying to push me down the stairs. And then like, like they, they basically spear tackled me backwards over a row of stairs. Like, like we were, I was stumbling and I was trying to like hold up and then they like, they like push me and like I fall backwards over the roll of stairs and I accidentally bring a security guard down on top of me as well. And then like that security guard was so pissed and he like grabbed me by the <laughs> neck and he's just like, he's like, come on mate. And he just pushed me down the stairs. So the way it worked is like, you know, there's the aisle going down and then there's the concourse and then there's the like kind of like gate where you go in and out. And so we fell backwards down the aisle and like fell over a row of stairs backwards as I got spear tackled. And then he grabbed me by the neck and pushed me down the steps leading down the gate. And, um, and then they, they grabbed me, pushed me up against the wall, my head smashed into the wall, twist my arm behind my back really painfully. Like they were really intense and they're like, no one even heard your protest message, mate. You're fucked. And like, like just going like, just going and then, like. But it, did, it went all across the media or the world. Didn't yeah, it? well, that's the thing. Like, like the security guards were really like, they were like, 
well, no one heard you, mate. You're a fucking troublemaker. And, so like, and, and I was like, I was like, oh shit, I really hope like somehow like someone got that. Like, but in the end, yeah, it, it went everywhere. And like people were, go- and like there were some Australian media who were like, the ser- like Daily Mail, for example, go, the, the Wimbledon protester was a serial Australian pest. And like, <laughs> and like they were really harsh. And um, a lot of people were like, now Drew's just becoming a pest. What a, what a fucking idiot. And, um, but my mindset was like, 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 like some people would go, just for attention, just for attention. My mindset was like, listen, like if you looked, for example, at the Google trends of Peng Shui's name, it was just flat, flat, flat. Like after the Australian Open, just nosedive, no one's talking about Peng Shui. It was just, then Google trends just flat for months. And then the Wimbledon final, there's a massive spike for Peng Shui's name. And that's just because of the protests. So the people that go, oh, blah, 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 Drew's evil, Drew's a... Uh, Attention seeker, blah, blah, blah. Look, it got the name of a missing woman who was raped and then kidnapped. Like, yep. it got her name out there. out there. And while you're in the UK as well, yeah. we got, <laughs> so this is where have a massive yeah. amount of time. So give us a good this plot is, synopsis. Yeah. If, uh, I'll do, give a synopsis. This is the most cooked part. So I reckon they got really, I reckon at this point, this Chinese government was just like really pissed off at me and they're probably like holding fire for a bit. But I reckon at this point, they're like, okay, time to give him a bloody nose. So I probably should have just like fucking taken it as a success at that point and just like, just being like, okay, I'm going to go home back to Australia. I couldn't get a ticket back home because it was like London summer. I hadn't thought about that. So it was like 7,000 Australian dollars to get a flight back. So I was just fucked. I was just stuck like crashing at my mates. And, um, and I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And I was just bored. I was like, okay, I'll go to the Chinese embassy and protest. Because I saw that the Chinese embassy like goes right out onto the street. You can get right close to the door. Which you can't do in Australia because they've got like military compounds as yeah, embassies yeah. in Australia. And they what someone sent in anonymous yeah. bomb so, threat. So there there we go. That's where the Chinese government finally were like, here's a fucking bloody nose fella. Like we'll we'll get back at you. Cause basically, yeah, I went there, one man protest. I had a mate coming with me just to film. He's a young guy called Harry. He's an English guy. And he just saw me on social media and was like, Oh, if you're ever doing a protest in London, would love to film. Cause he's like a budding young journalist. So I'm there with my Taiwan flag and everything. Fucking like diplomatic protection brigade come along. Um, like they grabbed me, put me in a- you glue, um, Didn't you glue yourself there originally? Yes, yes. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I, I, um, I, okay, this is- <laughs> this super is, glue okay, I, I will admit, this was, okay, this was pretty stupid on my behalf and I would never do this again because it, it really <laughs> fucked up. Basically what happened was- um, I was like, while I was there in London, there were just Extinction Rebellion protests every single day where people were gluing themselves to shit. I was like, and I just thought to myself, like, hang on, like, there are guys gluing themselves to like stuff every single day here. And like, why doesn't anyone try that tactic against the CCP? <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'll like just go to the embassy door and I'll try super glue the Taiwan flag over the door. Like, that was my, my idea. I thought it'd be funny. And, um, so I go with super glue and then like, while I'm trying to do it, like, I don't even know how to open the super glue. Like it was really fucking dumb. Like, so I had to like run off and like, I had to like abort the protest and like go back and like try to figure out like YouTube tutorials, how to open the bottle of super glue I'd bought. And, um, and then I eventually like went back and I had the super glue bottle open and there's a security guard posted right at the door. So I was like, fuck, how am I going to do this? So I, I just frantically like tried to put super glue on the, on the flag and put it on the door but obviously it needs time to stick so the security guard just like ripped down the flag and was just like trying to like he was like manhandling and then it's just stuck to him the Chinese guy <laughs> yeah. can't get yeah. rid of the Taiwan yeah. flag they locked well, him up as well well yeah like, look it, it was pretty ridiculous like he was just manhandling me and pushing me around I was like come on mate you're just like a fucking security guard you're not the fucking police it's a peaceful protest you can't fucking touch me because I know the rules like yeah. I've done so many protests over the rules I know security guards like you can't really like fucking bash you but like the, the main- anyway Sorry, I was just going to say, the yeah. main thing though was that you, 
basically sent an anonymous bomb threat. While no, we not me. That. that was not me. No, so, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is this is basically where they basically got me with like the biggest troll moment of history. Like it was almost like a le troll moment because like. You know, I'm going to the Chinese embassy thinking, what a cool, what a sick cunt, man. I'm doing a cool protest, one man protest. And then like, I didn't know that they'd like literally created this fake email address in my name that day using ProtonMail. <laughs> Drew Paglau69. Uh, yeah, no, it's literally that. Like, like <laughs> hotmail.com. Yeah. So um, it's ProtonMail, which hides the IP address. And they just literally created like Drew Paglau99 at ProtonMail. And the email, I'm, I kid you not, because the police showed it to me my, during my interrogation at 4am the next day. The email was just literally, hello, this is Drew Paglau. Today I will blow up the Chinese embassy at 12pm with a bomb. <laughs> Regards, Drew. This is the fucking email. Just the stupidest shit ever. Like, you could, we could, we could have one like, hello, this is Jack Tossel. Like, today I will like poo-poo my pants. Regards, Jack. Like, I like guess this they, is the stupidest email it, ever. I know, but they've got to take it a little bit seriously. But then you Even got locked up. For, so, so this is what happens, right? So I go to the Chinese embassy not knowing that they've already done that. Yeah. So they had called in, they had called in the, London Met Police at like 10 a.m. that morning saying, this guy wants to bomb the embassy. <laughs> so I didn't even realise, but apparently I think Met Police were already looking at- Yeah, they were had So e- even if I hadn't done the protest in the end, they probably would have like raided the house or whatever. They probably would have still tried to come and talk to me. Yeah. But where it really was like just, they just fucked me over so badly. Obviously I go to the embassy trying to do my cool one man protest and then holy shit, there's everyone waiting for yeah, me going, he's the fucking terrorist. And so I get put in a rear stack handcuff position, which is reserved for like 2% of offenders, like the most violent offenders, people who like are hitting the cops. And it's crazy because I was like, listen, I'm a peaceful protester. I gave up my hands to handcuff and then they go like straight behind my back. Like, like I was not resisting arrest. I was not doing anything. I gave them my idea. I'm like, look, I'm an Australian protester. I'm a peaceful protester. And then how long did they lock you up for? So they kept me in that handcuff position for like four hours, just like literally like just keep... So for example, they, they just... They just had me face the wall outside the Chinese embassy for like an hour. And my poor, my poor mate, Harry Allen, who'd come just to film, and he must have filmed it, you know, like, but it's, they've got his phone still. So they seized my phone, they seized his phone, they seized his laptop, they put him in handcuffs too, and they say, you're conspiracy to a bomb threat. And I didn't even know why I was, they didn't say the bomb threat to me for like four hours. So they, so initially they just get me to like turn and face the fucking wall so, so I couldn't talk to pedestrians. And I was trying to call out like, why are you arresting Harry? And they're like, not, they're not saying anything. I'm like saying, I'm saying like, please, I wasn't resisting arrest. I'm peaceful protester. Please like, can you recuff me? It doesn't have to be a recuff. Like, this is so painful because the way they do it, like it puts all the pressure on your left wrist. So like your left wrist is holding up your right wrist. And it feels, if you slunch, slouch for a second, it feels like your wrist is going to break. Like yeah. it's really painful. And so I was saying like, can you please recuff me? I'm not, I'm not posing a violent threat. And they were like, they're handcuffed, mate. They're not supposed to, feel comfy <laughs> like they were just like being a pig to me and yeah. like and um and then how much time did you spend locked up yeah though? so like, they take me to the police station dna swab me they're saying we're gonna send cunts to like your ha- we're gonna send people to like raid the house and st- get your laptop and stuff like that and um and i didn't even know what was happening and i was like I, I just kept on saying like is this for trespass like like yeah what's it for? yeah what and i overhear one of them say like so we've got him for trespass false information and and uh criminal damage to the embassy because like the glue apparently damaged the embassy door like bro there's a plastic shield like a plastic covert shield over the door you could wash it off with water and they're saying criminal damage to the embassy but i heard them say like false information i was like what the hell false information are they going to try to say that i was lying about the uyghurs or are they trying are they going to say that like i'm lying about the chinese government what the fuck false information and then um, i go like false information what are you talking about and they go 
false information for a bomb threat. And I go, what the fuck? Like, are you kidding? And then they go, don't play dumb with us, mate. You know why you're here. And I'm like, I'm like, I literally fucking don't know why I'm here. What the fuck? And then- I can't even run an essay. How am I going to make like yeah, that? Yeah. And, and <laughs> Dirty then, bomb. Yeah, holy shit. And so then at that point, that's when they revealed it to me, like four hours after I'd been detained. Like we went to the, we were called into the London Chinese embassy earlier that day. They were saying that Drew Pavel is going to bomb the embassy today. And then you come along and you, you're- outside the door so obviously we think it's a it's a bomb threat and so um and i was just saying like holy shit like you don't understand i'm a peaceful protester from australia they've, they've impersonated me with emails before because they'd been doing this email shit they've been doing this for months but it was just low level shit like it started off by just going and like i'm just full on just yeah yeah it, it started off with just going like they'd create a fake drew pavlou email and be like hello i'm a fatty regards drew pavlou like that was their that was their idea of trolling me whoever's behind this and then it just jumps to like bomb threat yeah like j- just so initially, so I was like, come on, like I've been hacked before my emails and they're like, tell that to the judge, mate. And in the end, I was detained for like 24 hours. They didn't let me talk to a lawyer because it was incommunicado at detention. So because they were holding me like as a terror threat initially, they were like, no one can know where Drew is, not a lawyer. The lawyers can't know, no one can know. He can't talk to a welfare contact. Like like basically just disappeared. Yeah. yeah. So for 24 hours, my parents and my, my, you know, my loved ones are just like, what the fuck happened to Drew? Like, <laughs> yeah, so my mom, my mom said to me, like, the second I knew something was wrong, like, normally you post like fifty times a day, yeah, and suddenly yeah. just silent for twenty four hours, and um, yeah, man, it was fucking horrible experience. Like, just this cold cell, lights blazing all night. I got like two hours sleep. Then they brought me in for interrogation at four a.m. and I was like. I was like, can I do it at any other time? And they're like, no, this is the only other time. And I thought, holy shit. Enhanced interrogation yeah. methods. <laughs> and I thought, holy shit, like, if I don't do it right now, maybe I might be stuck in here for weeks. I legitimately thought I might be stuck in here for weeks. Yeah, so, so you know, I signed away my legal rights to a 4 a.m. interrogation, didn't let me go for 24 hours. And then when I they finally let me go, um, they still have my phone over there and they're like, we're going to... we we're, they were saying, you've got to come back to the police station in a month's time. You can't leave the country. If you try to leave the country, we'll have you arrested at the border. But at the same time, they're giving me my passport. So I was like, what the fuck's going on? And then I was trying to get the Australian High Commission to help me. And they were like, we don't understand, Drew. Like, they're not making it clear whether you're going to be arrested at the border if you leave. And so in the end, um, I was allowed to leave after about four weeks. So I was stranded there for four weeks. And then they were like, you can only, you can only leave if you come back October 17, October 18 for a police station in-person hearing. And we're like, can't it be Zoom? No, it has to be in person. And, um, and so I buy the tickets, spend thousands of dollars, fly halfway across the world. And then October 17, the night of, like literally 12 hours before I'm supposed to meet with the police station, they go, oh, sorry, Drew. Like, we'll, have, we'll let you know when you have to fly back to London because we can't do the interview today. Yeah. And can you fucking imagine the troll of that? Like flying from fucking Brisbane, Australia to London because they were like, it has to be in person. They were threatening to put out like an extradition notice on me, like an international arrest warrant if I didn't fly over. So I fly over and then they're like, Oh, see you next time. Like, <laughs> holy shit. So, yeah. so shocking, but so yeah. we've we've actually got like a full corruption complaint against the Met Police ongoing. Fuck, I honestly think that was the most disgraceful treatment I've yeah. ever seen. <laughs> well, I think, yeah. Well, Drew, I mean, you've got a bit going on. Yeah, yeah. Look, we could probably talk for another so hour. I think, a bit. But uh, I think, yeah, that's all we got time yeah, for. Look. We've got some time constraints <laughs> here, but um, thanks for tuning in. Um, Thank we'll, you. It's a good podcast. I, I wish we could have talked about other stuff, but there's just so much cooked <laughs> shit. Mate, mate, we'll get you on again, maybe in yeah. what, six six months. We'll show you have some more stories. But well, then. I I actually have a trial in March where um. They're trying. The New South Wales Police are trying to take me to trial for holding a sign that said "fuck Xi Jinping" in the middle of Sydney. Well, there we'll we'll get him so back. So we'll, we'll get him back. Put a pin in that. Thanks so for coming on. Where can yeah. where can we find you or follow uh, you? Or? Look, I am on. I am on. 
all the social media platforms, yeah. Facebook. We'll put your details in. Yeah, Facebook, when Twitter. We post it, I'm even on TikTok. They've actually tried to ban me like 50 times because it is a Chinese government control app, but I'm still somehow on TikTok. Just that Drew Pavlu. And um, yeah, if people want to follow, follow and cut, so, cut, join up and follow the journey because it's a fucking. Thanks, thanks yeah. for coming on. Thank you, Kings. Cheers, thank you so much. And, it's been a and pleasure. Jack, thank you, man. Thank you so much.